Blog Talk Radio. St. Patty's Day to all our listeners out there. Welcome to another edition of Sports Tonight. I'd like to welcome our, our panel as always. From Sarasota, Flash Jersey Shore, Mr. Don Henderson. Up in Hotlanta, Mr. Roger Hendler. Here in Tampa Bay, Mr. Roy Cummings. And keeping us on the air 
week after week does a great job, Mr. Frank Carroll. Gentlemen, good evening. Always get down together. It's a great day, Tommy. Oh, <laughs> hey, Don, I was watching the Orioles the other day on TV. Oh, boy, they're bad. <laughs> I, think, I think the Rays are playing them down there. They're be long, long year. That's watching the Phillies on the on the Major League Baseball channel. Be a long year in Philadelphia and Baltimore. They better hope on for the Flyers in Washington to do something this year in hockey and basketball. So, but happy Thanksgiving. Well, I'll be happy. It, it's going to be interesting, and uh, for for uh, Roy's sake tonight, he's going to get a chance to see his Cubbies at nine o'clock. I don't know if he can stay up that late or not. Older fellow like oh, that, he know. might have to go to bed early, but. The Cubbies are going to be on at 9 o'clock tonight, so we'll get a chance to get a first-hand look at them with a week to go in spring training or a little bit more than a week. And uh, more importantly than that, uh, unbelievable moves by the Buccaneers. Uh, their, their quarterback, number 12, seems to have gotten everything he needed out there. He's getting it all back again, Roy. Yeah, he uh, he said they're gonna they want to get the band back together, and uh, I think they've got just about every piece except maybe the second flute and uh, third bassoon. So uh, <laughs> they they are doing a very good job right now. I, I know they're working hard to get Indomitian Sue signed. Uh, I think they really want to get Ryan Suckup back in to maintain some consistency at the place kicker position, but. You know they've got some of the biggest pieces obviously back, and um, you know you've already brought back uh, Gronkowski, obviously Brady, who you resign into a to a new deal. Uh, you bring back Shaq Barrett. You've got the franchise tag on Chris Godwin. They're doing a good job in the off season, and you know what? A lot in a lot of cases, a lot of teams, uh, their primary objective is just to see if they can keep their team together, especially when they feel like they're in striking distance. And you know it's really amazing how. A year ago at this time, there was a lot of uncertainty as to where the Bucks were headed, what was going to happen with this team. Jameis Winston was a free agent. Uh, in fact, it was a week ago, a year ago today, that Tom Brady was uh, let go basically by the by the Patriots, and there was just a lot of speculation about where he'd end up. But uh, it just goes to show you, it doesn't take much to to turn things around in the NFL, and you know, as quickly as the Bucks turn it around, some other teams could do the same. And, uh, boy, maybe, I don't know, Carolina seems to be all in on trying to get Deshaun Watson. We'll see what happens there. But if that happens, uh, suddenly the Bucks, uh got some competition in, uh, in their own division again, perhaps, um, much less in the conference. So we'll see where it all goes. But right now Tampa Bay is uh, doing everything it wants to do and seems to be in pretty good control of, uh, situation where he can get back to the Super Bowl, at least uh, be a playoff contender at the very least. Well, two points before everybody else gets in, and one would be I, I was a little bit surprised at the amount of money that Gronkowski got. I thought $10 million would would be a little bit high, but, you know, he did a lot for them last year and, and is still a premier player. And the other thing would be, Roy, uh, Mr. Belichick spent $165 million for a guy that didn't go into free agency and didn't go into – uh, really restructuring his team. He did it through necessity, but boy, he is spending Mr. Kraft's money this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think they feel like they don't have a choice. Look, this is a position that the the Patriots have not had to be in for a long time because the core of their team was always strong and it was all it was it was there. You know, they had Gronkowski, they had Brady, they had. Uh, James White, they, you know, they had all the pieces that they wanted. If they didn't want a player, they moved him out. 
and they knew they could bring in a, a, a young player or even a, a journeyman-type player who could fill a role. And right now, they need some star-caliber players. They, they need help, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, and uh, to help out their quarterback. And, you know, I don't think they're done at that position either. I, I know they've got a one-year deal with Cam Newton to bring him back, but I would think, the, uh, you know, they're probably going to look elsewhere and try to find another piece for that. But bringing in Nelson Aguilar and uh, Hunter Henry and, and uh, you know, the, the tight ends that they brought, Johnu Smith, I mean, these are, these are big deals and important deals for these guys. It's, uh, it's something that maybe they could have done a couple of years ago to make sure that Tom Brady was a little bit better fortified around him because I think what they've learned is they looked at the Bucks and said, gee, look what, you know, we didn't think Tom Brady had much left. Maybe we were wrong because he had plenty left as long as he had somebody to throw the ball to and somebody to run it for him. So, um, and maybe somebody to play a little bit better defense for him. So uh, I think they may have learned a lesson there, and uh, they're trying to correct things in a hurry. And you know what? Free agency allows you to do it. Um, but you, you, it does take time, as we found out with the Bucks. You know, it didn't happen overnight. Uh, it takes time for that chemistry to develop. It takes time for everybody to get on the same page. Uh, for everybody to understand the scheme and the system and uh, to play it at a high level. And uh, the Bucks, uh came along, came around on that just in time last year. Whether it happens for New England or not, we'll have to wait and see. But you got to give them credit for at least giving it a shot. Roger? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, uh, Roy, the thing that gets me is that uh, the uh, quarterbacks that are finding new homes, uh, you know, Andy Dalton, Okay, I'm surprised that the Cowboys didn't hold on to him because, uh, you know, they don't, of course, now they in, in a, have a problem because of uh, Prescott's uh, number on dollars. But uh, I would have thought that they'd want to uh, hold him as a backup, but maybe his contract now is that uh, he's going to be the starter. I, that's the only thing I can see. What do you think? Yeah, it. It, well, I would say there's probably going to be a competition there, and you never know. I mean, the, the Bears obviously moved up a couple of years ago to get in a position to draft uh, Mitch Trubisky. I, I could see him doing the same thing to to get one of the you know one of the top quarterbacks in this draft. So it's hard to know what their game plan is. Um, but uh, you're right; it's interesting how some of these veterans are moving around. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick to, to Washington. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, we still, again, we haven't seen where uh, where Deshaun Watson is going to end up yet. It's, that's clearly up in the air. Um, you see Tyrod Taylor moving around. So, you know, I think there's, uh, as usual, quarterbacks are moving. Um, but they're moving to teams usually where there's a lot of uncertainty. And uh, certainly that's the case in Chicago where Andy Dalton went. It's the case in Washington. It's going to be the case in uh, Carolina, probably Houston, um, San Diego, there's, there's a lot of questions out there. So the draft will, will, will decide a lot of it, but you don't want to go into the draft being really, really needy and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. So, um, yeah, but, uh, look, free agency is always interesting. There's always a lot going on there and, uh, gives you a pretty good idea of what teams are thinking usually about where they stand in the playoff race. Tommy, that's a good question. Why are these quarterbacks are, going like revolving doors. What's Ryan Fitzpatrick going to do for the Washington Redskins? I mean, he, he, he was here in Tampa. You know, he's, he did an adequate job in Tampa, an adequate job with the Dolphins. But he's not the 
he's not the man who'll take you to the big dance. He'll get you through the first three games of the season, maybe three and one or, or four games, maybe four, two and two. But other than that, he goes down. Has the season, season progresses, this Patrick goes down the drain. I mean, what's, what did they see in getting this guy for the Redskins? I mean, I should well, I think I think Tommy, you're, you're right. Uh, he's not the guy you want to lean on. Uh, you know, even really as a as necessarily a bridge quarterback. I, I think you might you might even fall short with him in that role as well. But but one thing he can do is he can help a young quarterback develop. And I, I would think that signing Ryan Fitzpatrick in Washington is a to me it's a sign that they're going to be in this quarterback derby in the draft and they're going to try to make a move themselves and. Um, they, they may not have to make a move, actually, but they're going to be right there in the mix for one of these top quarterbacks. And uh, I think the plan is to bring in somebody who needs some work and uh, needs some time to develop. And uh, while he's developing, you've got Ryan Fitzpatrick to show him the way. Um, it, it's one of the things Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, much like uh, Luke McCown back in the day, um, right. you know, do, does exceptionally well. Uh, he's a tremendous teammate. He knows his role. Um, he's not afraid to take a back seat to somebody and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and help the team for, for, for its best benefit. So um, I think that's really what the game plan is in Washington. Uh, again, we'll see. The draft is going to tell us a lot about where these teams are going, but um, I think some teams are setting themselves up for that, and I, and, and I don't think there's any question that Washington is one of them. Well, I really commend Drew Brees because yeah, he's got a TV deal on the table. And if he were to come right. back for one more year in New Orleans, that TV deal may not be there. So I think he's made 100% the right move by stepping down, making, making himself available for TV, and uh, right. at the same time having a great career that's going to take him into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I like the move, too. Um, look, what I like most about it is the fact that he said, look, I could have played another year, maybe even two, but it's time. And I, I think he feels... And you know what? I don't have a problem with this. Drew Brees is going to walk away from this game, from everything we can tell right now, in very, very good shape physically. Uh, he can walk. He can, you know, he can throw the ball with his kids. He can play with his kids. He can, you know, he can move into the into the press box and be a, be an analyst. Uh, he can do a lot of things. Um, and good for him. You know, he walks away with a, a tremendous uh, career behind him, a legacy. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, I think he probably could see that uh, the tide had turned in the division against the Saints, that uh, they were not going to be the team they were, uh, have been the last couple of years, and to get into the playoffs and uh, certainly get to the Super Bowl was going to be difficult for him. And he decided that, uh, hey, it's, it's time. Uh, sometimes, you know, you don't have to have somebody, you know, you don't have to get, have the game knock you over the head and tell you that uh, you, you tried to hang around too long. Um, I think it's fine when guys decide, hey, I'm, I'm going to go out, you know, while I still can. Even though I can still play, it's time for me to, to move on. And, uh, and good for him. Um, we're not going to have memories of Drew Brees unable to throw the ball, uh, looking like, you know, a shadow of his, uh, of his great self. Uh, he's, he, every memory we're going to have of Drew Brees is going to be a good one. Um, and, and, and good for him, and, and, and I'm glad of that. Roger? Hey, yeah, uh, you know, Don, that's a good point about uh, that That position may not be as it is today next year. And uh, he's. I understand he's going to be doing the uh, an analyst, be the analyst on Notre Dame football, 
and he's going to be in the studio on Sunday night football. But I have seen reports that there's no guarantee that NBC is going to bid uh, for Sunday night football like the NFL is hoping they are. And also, uh, from what I understand, ABC is now going to be in the rotation for the Super Bowl, which I think changes the whole structure. And I'd be interested in, like, you know, what you fellows think uh, about this situation. Interesting. That's what I'm going to say. Because, well, remember the old days, guys, in the 60s? Guess who had the, guess who had the major thing? CBS had the NFL while the AFL was on NBC. And then ABC would pick up the Monday night game. You know, that was, that was football back. Listen to, you know, I watch these films of uh, Pat Summerall, Tom Brookshire, football back in the 70s. And, and, and that was football back then. The NFL Today show, Jimmy the Greek, Phyllis George, Brent Musburger. That was, that was football preview. Not what they got on TV today now for, before the football games. That's got awful media coverage. But you know, I used to love to watch Jimmy the Greek, Phyllis George, and then Bob Costas on the other thing, Kurt Gowdy, uh, Al Deaver Goddess was doing the old AFL. So, guys, every night I put on the AFL, watch the AFL, or this week in pro football. <laughs> well, bring it back I, I into think... the current century and uh, kind of playing off what uh, <laughs> what Roger just asked about. Um, I, 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 think that, I think the game plan with Drew Brees is, is a good one. Um, Give them a, whole, a high profile position, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with the Notre Dame games. And put him on as a studio guy on Sunday night. See where he fits best. Look, let's face it, they would love to have a Tony Romo. Everybody's looking right. for Tony, the next Tony Romo. I don't know yeah. if Drew Brees can be that guy. Um, we'll find out. But, you know, maybe he can be, maybe he's going to be better in the studio, but he's going to get a shot at being something. And, uh, you know, and, and you're right about ABC. They're trying to get into a lot of stuff. ABC with the Disney Channel, they're obviously trying to rebuild their platform uh, for sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, around, obviously, ESPN. And one of the keys there is, I mean, they, they've purchased the NHL, so they're going to run that. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, I think ABC feels as though, with with the ESPN in particular, that ESPN might have gotten a little bit too uh, NBA heavy, and right. because it wasn't, it clearly has not put as much emphasis on even baseball that uh, right. that they have. And I think they're trying to appeal to a, a larger audience and bring more people. I mean, I got to be honest, guys, I don't watch ESPN much anymore. I'm not an I NBA fan, okay. uh, right? And I'm not an NBA fan, so. I kind of get, you know, I really, I got to be honest, I get turned off by the constant barrage of NBA news. Um, yeah. It's really, a lot of it to me is just kind of fabricated, you know, drama. Uh, there's just as much drama involved in, in the NHL, Major League Baseball, yeah. um, mm-hmm. the NFL. And, uh, you know, ESPN and ABC still do a good job, ESPN does, still does a good job with what it has with the NFL. But I think it wants to expand that as well. And, uh, again, the best way to expand your audience is to expand your, your, your properties. And if you're, you've got the NHL, uh, if you expand the NFL package, stick with what you're doing with baseball, with the Sunday night games and, uh, and other games one night a week, uh, I, I think you're going to broaden your audience. Um, 
the thing about the mm-hmm. NBA is I think it's a static audience. I don't think it's growing. Um, no. I'm not going to say that the NHL audience is growing either. Um, but you can grow your audience by paying more attention to some other sports. And, um, look, if they, if they hit a home run and get lucky with, uh, with Drew Brees the way CBS did with Tony Romo, you, that'll draw people too. So they're going to take that shot, and they're going to look for some others. And if it doesn't work out with Tony Romo, they're going to be right there bidding for uh, Tom Brady or whoever the next quarterback is that's, uh, that's mm-hmm. next in the, in the mix. And someone will be. Um, mm-hmm. Who knows? Could be, could be Matt Stafford. Could be anybody. So we'll see what happens. But I think what we're seeing here is an attempt by ABC and the Disney Channel and ESPN uh, to get back on top. They, they, I think they've fallen from the perch, and uh, uh, they are the sports channel, and I think they feel uh, the feeling around television sports is that they've become a sports channel, not the sports channel. Hey, Roy. Roger, my I only point to, that I, to your question would be this. I, you can remember, uh, I'm going to say I don't know the exact number now. I didn't think this question was necessarily coming up, but uh, Ten years ago when NBC, well, we're backing out. The costs are too much. Uh, the product is too high. The product is not good enough. How long did they last? <laughs> they lasted through one contract, and they said, hey, we're out of left field. we we got to come back and pay twice as much money as we thought we were going to pay before. He said no. So I, I don't think they're ever going to back out and say we're not taking football anymore. Don, the only reason, and Roy had a great point, okay? I agree that ABC, Disney, is really making a big move. And then right. I look at NBC. They're dropping at the end of the year the NBC Sports Network, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. And Which tells me they are de-emphasizing. And we have seen this throughout the system, uh, you know, since Comcast uh, got NBC. Look at NBC Sports Philadelphia. That content can now cannot even come close to what Comcast Sportsnet was in Philly mm-hmm. before they got NBC. All they do right. is, sh- is show a radio show uh, in the afternoon, whereas before it was all new content, new programming. You, you know, you, we all loved the uh, uh, sp- uh, Daily News Live at 5. They had the same thing yep. in Chicago. You know that show, okay? Because uh, yeah, I think his name's Peter Boyle uh, or P- Doyle, whatever. He was in Philly, and now he's in Chicago, and he's on with Hub Barkish, you know, on that uh, uh, that uh, uh, TV show. But I, I just think that NBC is going in reverse. I really do. I mean, when you're dropping uh, the NBC uh, SN, and you know, Roy, they were really they were carrying all the hockey, and it's gone. It's right. gone. At the end of the year, I mean, don't you think that NBC is de-emphasizing sports? Well, it does seem that way, but they're going to maintain part of the uh, of the NHL package. They're, they're still going to have the NHL. Um, it's just not they're not going to be the only one. They're going to have to share it now with ABC and ESPN. That doesn't help them, but they're still going to have it. I, I think that what they're to be honest, I think what they're trying to do is I think they're try- one thing I know they want to maintain is they want to maintain their spot on Sunday night with the game of the week, in essence. Um, that right. game Sunday night has kind of become the premier game. Um, right. There's often better games at 4 o'clock, sometimes even 1 o'clock, but they get usually the best matchups. Um, it's better than the Monday night game and better than the Thursday night game. So uh, I know they want to keep staying it that way. But, yeah, I mean, 
I think they want to just kind of stay in it a little bit. I think they might want to increase their golf coverage, um, which is kind of strange. Yep. But I think their biggest concern right now is paying for the Olympics. And I think they just want to make sure that they've got the Olympics. They got the best game on Sunday night on Sunday with the NFL, a little mm-hmm. bit of NHL, uh, maybe a little bit of baseball. Maybe they come back there. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's hard to, to say that they're not de-emphasizing sports, but I think at the same time, I think they are trying to keep the, the primary properties uh, so that they've got, you know, a toe in it. Because again, as, uh, as Don pointed out, if you get out, um, you suddenly realize when you try to get back in, it's just, it's so hard to get back in because uh, yeah. you, you've got to maintain some kind of presence with these, uh, with these leagues. Or you're going to get and if you out. look at the ratings, uh, Roy, I, I agree with you 100. percent If you look at the ratings, I mean, look across the board when the football season is on. I mean, the top five shows every week are the National Football League. I mean, you, know, yeah. you can't just throw that up in the air, right? No, you can't. Well, that's, and, and that's, look, that's true. And I'm we sorry. all, hey, guys, I'll tell you one thing. And and again, maybe because their contract was the first to come up. Uh, maybe what, what we're seeing here is a little bit of a fallout from, uh, from the pandemic regarding how it's affected television sports because uh, the other thing you've got to remember is, you know, NBC is, is really counting on the Olympics bringing them some big numbers because uh, they obviously paid heavy for that, and they're going to continue to do so. And so they've got the Olympics this, this summer. Um, I think their primary goal right now is to make sure that they've, they've got the Olympics um, and that they can produce the best uh, the best games possible there, and um, I know they want to stay with that. It's really kind of their crown jewel, and uh, even the, especially now that it happens every two years, they want to be the Olympic Channel. And um, you know, I think uh, I think again, I think that and golf and uh, and and the NFL, I think are going to be their primary properties now. Roger. Well, the the NHL, uh, from what I understand. Uh, with NBC, they're going to put that on. They have so many networks, USA, et cetera. And that's what they're going to do is put it, uh, the games onto these other networks that are more entertainment, reruns, you know, Law & Order, SVU, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I just don't know whether that's going to uh, uh, help the NHL, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, because uh, it, it's one thing when you know you can pr- uh, program a, 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 like five channels or six, whatever the case might be. Now, if you have to go to like 10 or 12 because you got this game uh, this night, it's on this channel, then it's on another channel. Whereas I think the NHL was benefiting by just having it on NBC and NBC SN. And I don't know if it's going to work. Uh, they might do well on ESPN, but not when it's spread out over these entertainment networks. I don't think that's going to work. Yeah, I agree. I think that could be tough for them. Uh, look, there's no doubt. NBC did a tremendous job with the NHL. Um, their yeah. Wednesday night games, the uh, the whole package of games that they put out, mm-hmm. um, whether it's Sunday afternoon, whenever, uh, what they do with the with the Stanley Cup Finals, they do a tremendous job, and they've really worked at it. Uh, good people there for sure. And, uh, yeah, they're going to maintain that. Uh, but, again, where is it going to be? Can you find it? I think they're kind of counting on the fact that NHL fans will find their game no matter what. They'll they'll figure it out. They love the game so much that they'll find it. I think they're counting on that a little bit. But, 
Um, there's no doubt that it's it's a bit look it's a it's a big get for the NHL to get back on ESPN as long as ESPN is going to you know do them do them justice. Um, it's tremendous for for the NHL to be on ESPN. Um, that's something I I know the NHL regrets doing, getting away from ESPN back in the day, even if it was you know second or third uh, you know on the list of, at best. Um, but uh, you, you've got to be there, and it just it just matters a lot. And I think they've got a better guarantee this time that they're gonna they're not gonna be uh, it, nobody's gonna have to wait until the 27th minute of the hour-long sports center to see, you know, the highlights from Washington, Boston, um, the right. top two teams in the mm-hmm. league when they're playing, uh, as opposed to watching, uh, you know, you know, the Clippers uh, facing uh, San Antonio or something uh, highlights. It just, that that's what, you know, drives people crazy is that uh, you could have one of the best games and, you know, the, the top, the top live game in the league in, in sports, you know, on a particular night could be a hockey game against, you know, two of the best teams in the league, and if you're watching ESPN, you get about 38 seconds of uh, coverage right. on it uh, half an hour into the show, and uh, that's what drove them nuts, and I think that's got to change. It has to change. I think another thing about it, and you probably saw it as well as I did, uh, Roger, that was uh, the Post did a major uh, story last week on the television contract with the National Hockey Day. Uh, I'm talking there in terms of reporting, not necessarily what the league is saying, they're not so uh, they're not so fond of the contract they signed. I mean, uh, I don't think they think they got it on money. I, I, I think they they really are up in the air, as you said. You know, what channels are going to be on? What times are going to be on? But the most important thing is they don't think they got enough money. Well, that it's all about the dollars. Follow the money, That's right? right? And mm-hmm. and we see it all the time. I'll tell you what we haven't talked about Fox. But uh, when you look at Fox programming for sports, I'm going to tell you, I think they do a bang-up job. I was watching uh, Dale Earnhardt's, Earnhardt's uh, Jr. show. Uh, it's on for a half hour, uh, you know, a NASCAR on NBCSN. And I'll tell you, I, I really enjoyed that. And I don't watch a lot of NASCAR. I've been to like two races in my life and sweated mm-hmm. my push off. Uh, I, I got to tell you, it's they do a great job on programming. And my question is, when at, when NBCSN's gone, where are they going to where are they going to put this show on USA Network or whatever? I don't think so. Yeah, we'll see, guys. I'll leave you with this. Uh, you know, the NHL's been there before with uh, having games on USA. And again, I I, I think they're counting on NHL teams or NHL fans finding the games. Um, you know, I don't think they want to get away from NBC. Uh, Don, you're right. I think there's some, some concern about the money. But you know what? Um, they've got a little bit of leverage now because they've got somebody else that's interested in their product. And uh, so uh, at some point, uh, I believe a couple years in, they can, re- they can look at the deal again. The NHL can. And, um, you know, if they can get some ratings up, uh, it could be that maybe ESPN takes all of it. So uh, this could be just the first step in getting away from NBC entirely. So we'll see what happens. Well, we're going to go from one step with you, Roy. Uh, we're going to go from one step on the TV side to another because the Chief is standing by, standing by right now. So we'll go from the Hockey League with you to the Hockey League with the Chief. Bob Taylor is going to be on with us right this minute. And, uh, Robert, uh, what do you think about the TV package? It's been your life for the last 25 years. I know. I, you know what? I don't know. I 
what really bothers me is that, is that how come we can't get it? I mean, you know, I don't know who's at fault with the, the ratings. I didn't see uh, hear the first part of the show, but, you know, like people that have Frontier are all upset because they can't get it. And then, you mm-hmm. know, people with um, uh, would have want to know how they, can they get it on uh, Hula, can they get it on the Internet, you know. They haven't come out with too many answers, I think. Well, we're not going to solve the TV. We're not going to solve the TV problem, but uh, let's talk about your belly work here for a moment because your home team, hockey team, the Stanley Cup champions, are uh, they're right there with a full battery of players. They're ready to go. Yeah, you know what? It, yeah, they, they they've got the best goalie in the world. You know, there's no question about it. I keep watching them all the time, um, and you know what? I keep looking for holes and. You know, the only time when, where he struggles is when he don't have, doesn't have a whole lot of shots. I think his concentration yeah. helps to go a little bit, but that's a tough thing to do. But uh, for me, uh, one of the things that was kind of getting me a little bit concerned, guys, was the fact that up until last night, their idea of defense was not there anymore. I mean, they, you know, we, we went nine straight games of getting a point. We lost two out of three until last night. Uh, and and it was a matter of, like, we weren't really playing well in the defensive zone. It was almost like it was back in 2018 when we said, okay, we would rather outscore teams than outplay them. That was a little bit of a concern to me. And and then I thought last night's game they played extremely well. You know, I mean, there was a a second period was okay, but the, the whole game, up until two minutes to go, for gosh sakes, when they pull, who scores two goals with two goalie when the goalies are pulled both times? I I've never seen that very often, but I think the team <laughs> played better. Tommy and Chief, we're, Chief, we're doing this without the without Cooch in there. I mean, like we like we like we said before, in, up in the box up there, John 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 Cooper's doing a great job coaching. He's putting the right parts in the right place, and and the guys are. Not missing a beat. That's why we're having such a great start and a great finish up there. And it'd be like what Coop said in one of the press conferences. It's like a baseball schedule. I mean, you play, you are on the road. You might have a clunker. Then the first game of the back-to-back, you have a clunker. But you, but you survived last night's game with with a hard-fought victory over Dallas. Now you got a great weekend. Chicago, Chicago, and the Panthers coming up. It's a great hockey weekend up there. And it's like a baseball schedule. But I think our guys are. Preparing for it, they're playing great, and the lines are looking great. And, and wait till wait till Nikita Kucherov comes back, Chief, from the injury list. What addition he will make? Well, big time. I mean, you're bringing the Hart Trophy winner, most valuable player, back into your lineup. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. But you're right, Tommy. You know, and I, I forget who. I think it was somebody. Who, maybe it might have been Dave Mishkin after the game. Was saying, you know, he says, "Here we are getting so upset because you know they're fighting it for first place." And we're not, they're not playing perfect, you know, type of thing. And all you got to do is get in the playoffs because once this team's in the playoffs, that mindset will go right back to what we saw and how they played mm-hmm. in the bubble. So I, I think we get, I mean, we get spoiled. You know, all of a sudden you keep, you know, yeah. you, you, at least I do anyway. I get really nitpicky. Well, <laughs> oh, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. Because you're so keen on getting them to win and play perfect, right? Because you know what's going to happen down the road. You're going to have to be a lot better in in the defensive zone in the in the playoff. 
you know, we all know it. Donnie, you know this. Uh, you, we've been in Philly for all these years. You know, offense sells tickets, uh, defense wins in championships. And that's no the question. one thing that I always look at and I sometimes get a little too carried away with that. Roger, you're up yeah. next. Yeah, Chief, you know, uh, I just moved back to Georgia after being back up in Philly for a number of years and uh, saw a lot of Flyers games uh, the last few years up to to the pandemic. And uh, I'll tell you what, I was so impressed. And Tom LeMain, who you know very well, has been on with us many times. And, you know, Carter Hart was just really looking great. And the uh, he uh, it's got to be a psychological thing. And in the morning show uh, with Angelo Cattati, you got Al Morgani and uh, Keith Jones, the guys. And they've talked about this, just like it affected Carson Wentz. But tell me, from you were a goalie, what is it like? Uh, how does it psychologically work, where uh, you get a young goalie like this that all of a sudden has uh, uh, some trouble uh, keeping the, uh, the puck out of the net? I, I think a lot of it is mental because when when you first break in, you're so anxious to make sure that you're at your peak because you haven't really established yourself. And then it's, it's like human nature. Like all of a sudden, you know, I mean, he was such a really good goaltender last year. And I finally said, and I said that, and I, I said it to Fensbold just uh, the other day, I said, you know what, Philly could be tough because they finally got a goalie. You know, and, and, and ever since Bernie left, and I guess Ron Hextall in my mind might have been the last really good goaltender that we had. Right, and most of the t- most of the time they were they were number two guys or stopgap guys, and, you know. And then you, then you get this young kid Hart coming up. Oh my goodness, I'm looking at him, I'm watching him. I mean, what is he? Twenty two or twenty three, maybe? Yeah, twenty one or twenty two. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's really young, and then all of a sudden I'm saying, damn it, he's playing. He's playing like a guy that has had learned all this stuff from at twenty six, twenty seven, and uh, I think a matter and. It's not going to go away. That ability will not go away. The mental approach to it will be up and down because I think sometimes you get, well, you know, we all know when, you, when you're young. I mean, we were there at one time. You know, you, you feel home. Like, all right, I got the world by the tail. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, everything's going to be just the same. I just have to show up. You lose a little bit of your edge because you're not working quite as hard. You think you are, but you're not quite as hard mm-hmm. working as hard. And the, And the whole thing is, Mental and it'll he'll come back. Believe me, I I think he's so young and and but it, it goes through everybody. They have ups and downs and ups and downs. The guys that become the greatest, like Bernie was. Bernie to me was the great. I mean, until he hit got mm-hmm. that stick in the eye, you know, he was the best goalie yep. in the world by far. Right when we won right. those two cups and and I think what happens is is that I think you lose your mental edge a little bit when you're that young. And and uh, I think what happens is it'll come back because you know why? He, the guy that knows it more than anybody is 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 is, is the heart. Uh, he he knows that he's not playing the same way, as same as he's not approaching it the same as he did last year. And it'll, it'll he'll adjust. Believe me, he will adjust. If he doesn't, yeah. I'm totally up my butt. <laughs> well, the Rangers just scored. It's two nothing Rangers at the Garden. And uh, oh. Elliot's in goal tonight. But I'll tell you, though, uh, Bob, uh, Keith Jones had a good point the other day. He thinks that they 
the Flyers are uh, lacking a defenseman. They need to make a deal and get a good defenseman. So, you know, maybe you could uh, give your opinion on well, that. You- you know what it is? A lot of it isn't just isn't the defenseman. You, your forwards have to come back. I mean, this exactly. game is so different than when we played. Everybody says it's much faster. Yeah, no kidding, Sherlock. There's no red line anymore. <laughs> so you don't have a two-line pass that you have to wait for. You know what I mean? And, and, but I, I've watched so many games, just not just the lightning games, but you know, when, when they don't teach some basics, like, like you know what, guys, baseball's changed like crazy. You know that, Donnie, yeah. think about it. They still turn the double play the same way Ty Cobb did. You know, they <laughs> yeah, don't, right. their footwork is still the same. You know, here with hockey, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. now, like, you, I watch guys come down. One guy on three or four defensemen three or four defensive players, two of them defensemen, and he'll just stick handle all the way through them and go in and shoot, shoot on the net. N- nobody looked. You're always taught as a kid, look at the man. Look at the man. Take yeah. care of itself. When he's got the puck, you can take him out. Don't worry about the puck. Now we all mm-hmm. worry about the puck, and we're all worried about the scoring. We're all this. Everybody, mm-hmm. five guys in the zone. Puck goes in the corner. All five of the guys that are the defensive team all watching the puck. How the hell can mm-hmm. you going to score from the corner? If you score right. goalie from the corner, that guy ain't going to be right. in the league anymore. Look at what yeah, I, I know you weren't danger. insinuating, Bob. Bobby, I know you weren't insinuating that, that Don was back uh, around at Ty Cobb's era. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was just short of it or just laughter it. Let me put sort of two things at you, Chief. Because I happen to like the way the schedule's set up now. I, I love playing these teams like the old days when it was six. I mean, you're playing these teams. I think there's a lot more uh, competition. Uh, I think it's the fans get a chance to see you play a number of times against the same teams, and you're not playing somebody out in Newfoundland for one game, and who the hell cares? And, 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 the, other thing, and, the, and the other thing that I like about it is, or I don't necessarily like about it, but I think the Devils are a perfect example. They can't win at home. What are they? They lost 10 games at the Prudential Center already? I mean, yeah. uh, home field used to be it, but now that's not the case. Well, you know why it isn't? No fans. Honest to goodness, guys, I'm telling you this right now. I never realized how much fans are important to any sport because they get right. the players pumped. If you're going mm-hmm. out there and, and if you start and, and they get mad at the other team, you know, I, gosh, guys, just think back in the days when we were, when I was really old in the 70s. Remember when every, Kate, Kate Smith was so perfect about yep. it? And when we played Boston yeah. in the playoffs, Espo and Orr brought out flowers to her to make sure that <laughs> they didn't care about the, the, the so-called jinx and, and, and how good she was when she, when she sang the national or, or when she sang God Bless America. And we still beat right. them. So the point is, I mean, you got all that psycho, psychological and the drama. To me, I mm-hmm. like that as well. I really do, Don. But for me, the point of it is, it's tough to play when you've got nobody to play for. I mean, do you like the schedule? The do you like the fact that they play each other so many times, Dad? Do you, do you enjoy that, or would you rather see it the old way? Oh, boy. Well, you know what? I came up when they were had this. Oh God, I'm old. I came up when there was only sixteen. 
I was in Chicago, you know, the Chicago organization. Then when, when Philly got and all the other six teams came in, that's when I became Philadelphia property. It was after that, but I was in Chicago's property before that. St. Louis was one of the Chicago's minor league teams back then, so it, and it became oh. a, an ex, expansion team. So I better shut up because it sounds like I'm ready for the wheelchair. But no, <laughs> we're, we're with you, Chief. We're with you. I used to see the Ramblers with Ivan Wamsley in goal at the arena. So it shows how oh, old I am. Yeah. You know what? Uh, the fans are so important that players, we mm-hmm. poo-poo it as players. We really do. But let me tell you, when we were playing in the spectrum, I talked to a lot of guys, John Davidson, Mickey Redmond, all the old-timers that would come in. And they said, we were laughing, having a great time until we hit that damn Walt Whitman Bridge. And then the bus started shaking like with those cheap beds you get in motels where you put the quarter in. $16,909 were there every single night. They were half, half of them were standing for the time you walked on the ice until you left. Exactly. Exactly. Chief, I want to thank you. I, 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 I want to thank you very much for spending the 15, 20 minutes with us. And I tell you, still enjoy you doing a little work over there in, in Tampa. I tell you, you got you, we got to get you back on the road again. <laughs> oh, my wife, my wife has the same idea. <laughs> oh no! Oh, well, Chief, thank, thank you so much. I hope you'll join us. Thank you, Robbie. A little bit deeper right, into guys. the season, we go all, we'll go all over it again. Great, for sure. For sure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks so care. much. Take care. All right. Next wow. up, Bernard Fernandez. And uh, we're really looking forward oh. to talking to Bernard Fernandez, a, uh, a really a, an like outstanding, a, a number one boxing fan and a number one boxing reporter. And it has been so for such a long time, not only in Philadelphia, but as columns around the United States. And Bernard, thank you. We we haven't had you on for a little bit of time, but we first talked about it, uh, getting you on last week because of the 50th anniversary of Muhammad Ali and Joe Fraser and the way that transpired. But before we do that, I'll just make one comment, ask get one comment from you. Marvelous Mormon Hagler died uh, last Sunday, 66 mm. years of age, a great, great fighter. And maybe you'd make a comment or two about him before we go into the 50-year anniversary of Muhammad Ali. Yeah, one thing about about Marvin Hagler is that, you know, people that met him uh, away from the ring, you know, like at uh, he loved to go to Canastota for the uh, uh, International Boxing Hall of Fame induction weekends, and you talk to him, and he, he was such a nice guy. Uh, humble, everybody, you know, liked, liked to, you know, was very gracious to everyone who met met him and came up and asked for an autograph or whatever, you know. Um, but uh, when he got in the ring, you know, he it was like a switch that he was able to, to, to flip on. And he said, there's a monster that lives in me. And the monster came out when the bell rang. And... Um, <laughs> And a lot of a lot of a lot of guys have the monster, but they can't turn it on and off, um, or else they're 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 too nice for their own good. A guy like Floyd Patterson, you know, uh, 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 Jerry Cooney, maybe to a certain extent, you know, that they, uh, you know, they did they didn't have that viciousness, you know. Um, killer Jerry instinct. Detroit, killer yeah. instinct. 
Yeah, the killer instinct. But the thing, but the thing is with uh, with Marvin, uh, a lot of it was born of the fact, you know, that uh, that uh, he he came from abject poverty in Newark, and and uh, he had to wait so long for his first title shot, and he got screwed on that decision um, mm. with the uh, with the draw against uh, Antiformo. Um, that he that he, he he built up a lot of animosity towards the boxing establishment, or felt that he was not being given his due, and he wasn't. Uh, and he went in the ring. He was able to 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 really let it go. But then when it was over, it was over, you know. And 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 that was a remarkable thing about him, I thought. Well, before I bring the other fellows in and we talk about the 50th anniversary, uh, I'm sure you saw as well. I saw every one of the fights, and uh, I, I couldn't have, I can't tell you how happy I was that ABC that Wednesday night played all three of the fights over. I was up till almost midnight. I, I mean, I don't think anybody did not have an opportunity. Good luck to see those three fights between those two gentlemen and the way it was set up and the way it was uh, actually run out. But I, I never saw a more brutal fight, three fights, one fight, than I saw in those three fights. And then looking at it again on on ESPN and the replay, did, did you see it or, or have to see it or no? No, I did, but I, I've, I've seen all those fights uh, multiple times. And um, one, one of the things that you always hear is that this person, you know, uh, beat this other person and that that person beat some up somebody else. So they think there's a connection. Um but styles make fights. I mean, it, it's one of the axioms of boxing. But just because fighter A beat fighter B doesn't mean that fighter B can't beat fighter C or, you know, whatever. Um, Ali and Frazier were, they were just made, to, you know, their styles, whatever. They just played into, in, into one another, and it made for great theater. And then, of course, there was all that stuff about the tension between them away from the ring. And, you know, Ali... Perhaps uh, people have said that you know he was just trying to help hype the fight, sell the fight, but he did it in a way that that offended Joe Frazier. Basically, you know, his, his children were being ridiculed at school and so on and so forth, and he built up a lot of anger towards them. And 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 it took a long time um, for him to get past that. And I'm glad that they were able to. Uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, special. Uh, 50-year uh, anniversary issue of the Ring magazine uh, over for the first fight, which was just uh, uh, happened not too long ago. But right. um, I, I did the story about how they finally reconciled uh, at the 53rd an, uh, annual NBA All-Star Game in Philadelphia. You know that uh, Marvis Frazier, you know, had been wanting his father, you know, to make peace with the Alley Camp and Alley family, and and they met at at a uh, Ali's hotel suite the night before, and they had dinner, and uh, you know they they hugged and said, it, it, "Okay, it's it's over." It took a long time for him to get there, but you know um, you, you put all that into a stew, you know, and stir it, you know, and and, and it made for great theater. The, ma- the amazing thing about it is that they've had, you know, Sugar Ray Robinson fought Jake Lamotta six times. They've been guy. Uh, Fighters that have fought more often than that, they've, they've had ongoing series. Um, but these guys fought three times, and it's still regarded as the greatest rivalry ever mm-hmm. in the history of boxing. Absolutely, you know, which, which, absolutely, which, which, which is amazing. You know, 
Well, Roger, let's Edward get Roger Hedler in here because he's down in Atlanta now, not Philadelphia, but uh, Roger, jump in. Hey, Bernard, uh, thank you for all your work over the years. You know, I've got to meet you several times. And, uh, uh, you're just a, uh, a legend. Um, wasn't uh, Ali's daughter uh, living and working in Philadelphia and still is possibly? Okay. Yes. Uh, uh, Kalia and uh, met, and and the funny thing about it is that she's uh, she's good friends with Jackie Fraser a lot, you know, and um, um, so a lot a lot of the stuff that happened with the fathers did not necessarily filter down, you know, to to their children. I mean, Marvis, um, you know, who's an ordained minister uh, and, and of course a a former heavyweight contender himself, um, he had been trying for years, you know, to try to broker some sort of, of peace between uh, his father and uh, and uh, Muhammad Ali. And, and every time it looked like it might happen, you know, something was said or some, you know, whatever it was, and it would just flare up. And, and they were close to having something done in, in the mid-1990s. And um, uh, when Ali got the gig to go out there and light the Olympic torch in Atlanta in 1996, it... it right. It did something with, with Joe. It just made him crazy. You know, he, he wondered why, you know, Ali got that. Well, of course, Ali was suffering from Parkinson's, and he was a very sympathetic and tragic figure then. But, you know, he, he got asked by a reporter, what did he think of that? And he said, well, you know, I wish I could have pushed him in the fire. And that sort of swung uh, things mm-hmm. back in the other direction. Uh, and it took it took more years, you know, for him to, to, to get past that. But, but fortunately, it did. Mm-hmm. Um, the story that I did uh, in Ring on the reconciliation was I put these are the lords of conflict, you know, Hatfields and McCoy, Biggie and Tupac and <laughs> uh, Bird, Bird and Magic, you know, whatever, you know, and and um, and that was that was that was that with those two guys, and but and and you wanted you wanted it to to get resolved because you didn't want either or both of them to go to their graves with that hanging over them. And, and fortunately, they did, you know, were able to get past that. Well, what I know Frank's very fight? much involved in boxing as well. And, uh, Frank, you must have a, a topic or a point that you want to make uh, with Bernard. Oh, because, I, got, I have several. Uh, I have several. Go yeah, ahead. That's what um, I thought. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. The, the, all of us have known Bernard and had, had the ability to, to read his, his columns on a daily basis at the, in the Daily News. A lot of things that that have that aren't in that paper that have not been in that paper that people, especially those new listeners are, that are on here, uh, Bernard was actually the uh, was the first president to serve five terms of the Boxing uh, Association Boxing Writers Association of America. Uh, his father was a uh, was a police captain, a decorated police captain in uh, New Orleans, and. Uh, uh, he himself was a welterweight, and when he was in the Navy, he was he was up in the Pacific and had a chance to have a very big fight, um, which ended up with a, uh, being a draw because of two headbutts. But um, the, the, some of the things that uh, that Bernard has has done is he's he's forged not just he's not just sit there and write. He's forged friendships. With uh, with many of them, the Hagler brothers, uh, uh, Frazier, uh, Ali, uh, you just 
you can go uh, line after line of all the all the places uh, all the people you said he's done but one of the guys that that really uh, amazed me was uh, George Foreman we all know that uh, George has a as a tongue of uh, that just slips right off his teeth at times but he wrote mm-hmm. a, an extremely good uh, um, forward to uh, Bernard's book uh, champion rounds which is if anybody has a chance to read champion rounds please buy it it's it's on it's it's very reasonable it's on uh, amazon but it breaks boxing and the the figures of boxing down in a very anecdotal way that people uh even uh, uh, novices can read the thing and i've gone back to it five or six times in fact um, my book's starting to look pretty, pretty pretty shabby because I keep going back looking at it for our, our boxing show on, on a Saturday night to pick up uh, more information. But uh, uh, at one time, um, I think uh, Bernard was heading towards uh, law enforcement, uh, and then he um, had the good fortune of running into a, a teacher, uh, Sister Camilla, who uh, ta- actually talked him into writing an essay which he won, the citywide essay. Uh, and then he uh, he went on from there. But, uh, um, Bernard, I, I just want to say that uh, the when, you, when everybody looks at this book, um, everybody, uh, anybody, uh, if they get it in the library, I don't care where they get it, they are going to want to find more about it. Uh, I had the good fortune of, of meeting a, a Bernard, years ago, when, uh, as you know, uh, the, one of my partners on the uh, Saturday Night Show, um, Dr. Chris Panarella, uh, Chris owned part of uh, the contract with Tex Cobb, and we were up in Easton for the uh, the big fight, and uh, we, we ran into to Bernard, um, and uh, the the funny part was the next morning, um, Larry and and Texter sitting there having breakfast with us, and uh, they looked at each other. They had uh, scrambled eggs, and neither one of them could eat it because the other guy hit him so hard. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, Tex, Tex, Tex uh, of course, um, uh, he is one of the the, the stories that's uh, mm-hmm. uh, in Championship Rounds, which mm-hmm. is the first volume. I've, I've actually got another book that um, is going to come out. Um, probably in the fall, I'm thinking maybe um, October, possibly Great. November. Um, it was going to supposed to come out um, like in, in in May, you know, before the Hall of Fame induction, because uh, hopefully that I was I was going to be able to, you know, have uh, Championship Rounds Volume Two available um, for you know uh, uh, you know for the induction weekend. But they postponed it again for the second straight year. So then uh, I was talking with um, some people, and they said, okay, well, well, why don't we try to come out with it in time for, for Christmas? So uh, boxing fans, if they were so disposed, might might get it, you know, uh, as a present for some other, you know, boxing fans or something. So, And then I'm working on a third one. I, I always intended it to be a three-book series, you know, and um, – so uh, if you like the first one, you know, uh, keep an eye out for the second one. Yeah, there are a couple of things I, I'd like you to clear up for me, if you could, because some of the things I, I was just unaware of, to be honest with you, 
And I, I knew John Condon well because he was a Madison Square Garden for so many years. And, uh, uh, of course, he was the one that really directed the whole boxing operation over there. Uh, but one of the things that, that uh, they talked about, and I'm not newspaper literate, uh, they called everybody in after that meeting into the press conference in Philadelphia. Called everybody in and said, we're not allowed to cut and paste anymore. What is this picture, which is a Wall of Famous picture, what is this picture that's cut and pasted on all the papers and all the magazines, the Life magazine? Everybody has it, and you're, we're not allowed. To, we don't. We don't recognize that anymore. Boy, it wasn't a. It wasn't cut and pasted. It was a real picture. I don't. You know. I mean, one of the things that I always got for you know, like for forty three years when in newspaper business, um, was. If somebody didn't like the headline, you know, you know, whatever, and they'd say, "What about that headline?" You know, and it, you know, or they didn't like it. I said, "I don't, I don't write the headlines. The the, the copy desk writes the headlines. I just write the story." You know, but um, but uh, um, um, once I write it and send it in, you know, after that, it's out of my control. Uh, the copy and paste now. Um, I I had to learn more stuff about. Um, my laptop and computers and stuff like that because uh, if I'm going to do attachments and, and or whatever, you know, um, I still kind of miss, well, not exactly, you know, but I still kind of miss typewriters a little bit because that's what I came up on. And and um, I, I can tell you over these last 50 years, um, you know, every time they came up with a new um, way to write a story and send a story in into the newspaper – they had to drag me kicking and screaming into every new technological advance. And every time I got, I'm starting to learn this, you know, uh, um, either the, the, the Radio Shack uh, uh, computers, you know, they weren't really computers. They were just uh, things you could send over the telephone. And, and um, then they had Texas Instruments, and they came up with um, uh, some other type of, it would take me months, you know, to just get comfortable with it, and then they would be coming out with something else, you know. And it's the same thing with any kind of technology. You know, I had right. I had eight-track tapes, and then they came out with, uh, uh, you know, uh, audio uh, tapes, and yes. then they had CDs, and there, and I would have a couple hundred dollars or hundreds of dollars worth of stuff, and I'd have to throw them out to start over all over again. Mm-hmm. So don't ask me about. How it gets well, into the paper after I write it. Let's 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 go back to that original press conference. New York Post did a, I mean, they did a fantastic job last week uh, on the anniversary and all. And they pointed out, which again, I was totally unaware of. If it was, I mean, I can't imagine they could have written a story 50 years in, as a as a doctrine for what actually happened. And when Condon brought Mohammed down to Philadelphia for the press conference. That that whole thing was set up before they ever got to it, and, and that actually uh, Joe actually punched uh, Mohammed in the stomach to get him to put his face up against his face to make that picture. Uh, I'd never heard that oh, before. Yeah, I just want the one at the gym. Yeah, the world because, famous picture of the two guys head to head. Oh yeah, and there was another thing, you know, because a lot of people forget this is that the time of the the first fight, 
that Ali actually had a, uh, his residence then was in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is across the right. across the river from from right. Philadelphia. Right. Joe lived in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and so they were both living in the Philadelphia area. And um, there was that famous uh, incident where Joe was training, and Ali basically led a, a caravan uh, across the river and. You know, he went up to, to Joe's gym, and he had his face up against the, the window and yelling, I want Joe Frazier, you know, and, 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 <laughs> and, sort of, and, and you know, and then, then you know, Joe was going to go follow him, and they were going to go out to some place or, you know, and um, it might have all been for show. It might have been all the hype, hype the event and stuff like that, but I think Joe would have actually gone out and done it, you know, and, uh, um Oh God, you know, and and when you stop and think about uh, the uh, the Howard Cosell thing, where you know they started to go at one another and knocked off Howard Co- uh, Cosell's toupee, that was that was classic. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say, a lot of it, a lot of it that I, from a background standpoint, uh, I just recommend anybody that wants to go back to it and take a look on your computer and I'll read the you know read the history of the setup. But the very beginning of the three fight series and how these two guys actually did a lot of things that, you know, looked like they were killing each other but actually it was part of the show. <laughs> that, well, I think, so I think was, it was more I think it was more a part of the show on Ali's part. I mean, because the thing is is that that, that um once once uh, you know, uh, Ali started saying that Joe was ignorant and he was ugly and he was a gorilla right. and right. and so on and stuff like that. Um then all of a sudden his kids started hearing that. And um, I think it's pretty well known uh, by this point that when Ali was uh, was held out of boxing for three-plus years for refusing to be inducted into the Army, um, he was he was going around trying to, to get speaking gigs where he'd get some money because he didn't have any, any, any income coming in. And um, he, uh, he basically called Joe and, and said, hey, uh, um, can you help me get my license back? And Joe, uh, uh, you know, contacted President Nixon and, and tried to help him and, and lent him some money and so on and so forth. And then when he was cleared to box again, then it started off with, you know, he's a gorilla, he's ugly, he's ignorant. Um, and, and all that affected his children. And, and, and Butch Lewis told me that you know he you know that he told uh, uh joe he said joe uh that's ali's way you know he's selling an event and joe said hey this event's going to sell out one you know he doesn't have to say anything and this event's going to sell out and uh and, and he couldn't understand why he had had made it personal and it was hurting his children you know and 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 he was getting it uh, at, at they were getting it at school from their from their classmates and mm-hmm. you know he resented, you know, you were talking about the son of a, of a sharecropper from South Carolina who was being basically told that their father was, uh, you know, uh, the white man's puppet and the white man's champion and that Ali was representing the, uh, the you know, the, the black people. And, and right. uh, it, 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 it hurt him. It did. It, it, it hurt him to, to his, you know, to, to his soul. And particularly that his children were being harassed, and there's, you know, there's there are certain lines that 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 shouldn't be crossed if they don't need to be crossed. Amen. And I think I think I think that's what happened in that instance 
Um, look, when, when Muhammad Ali died by that particular point in time, you know, people know about all the, the good works that he did, you know, with, with uh, getting those hostages that were released by Saddam Hussein. Um, you know, he did a lot of good work away from boxing. You know, he, he was not a racist per se. Otherwise, uh, Angelo Dundee and Gene Kilroy would not have been a part of his uh, uh, retinue for you know, for as long as they was, um, as they were. But and Angela's sister lives in Philly. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm not sure she's still alive. But um, well, I, I, yeah, I should say I don't know. I don't know whether she's still alive or not. But I know Angela spent a lot of time in Philly because uh, you know, and, yeah, Angela uh, originally, you know, is from you know, is was from Philadelphia. And and the thing that was really, it, yeah, that was really interesting was, um, uh, you know, this is <laughs> this pre- predates. Uh, uh, email and internet and and all like that, but his sister. Thank God. Yeah, his his sister. <laughs> if, if he liked the story that I wrote or a column that I wrote or something, she'd actually clip it out uh, of the newspaper and and mail it to to Angelo, and I would either I would either get a uh, a handwritten note uh, in the mail from Angelo or I'd get a phone call, you know, because he had gotten, you know clipped out newspaper stories, you know, that his sister sent him. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And and I think he still did that even past the time when, uh, you know, the technology had improved that she could, like, just email her her brother and, you know, whatever. So I I, I thought that was very old school, you know, and it was... Absolutely. Tommy, you want to get a word in? Tommy, before we have to say goodbye, we're speaking with uh, Bernard Fernandez, who has... uh, written so many, as he just said, coming down with the end of his second book and looking forward to number three in the series. But, Tommy, yeah. you have a question before we uh, we have to split the time? Hey, hey, Bernard, I remember one time um, Muhammad Ali did live in Cherry Hill, right? That's and, correct. And I remember in one article, I think it's for the one that fed off your papers, I think you wrote about it, when, when Ali won a fight, everybody went to the, his house and picked up a stone for a souvenir. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I still remember that story. You know, all the, all the Ali fans went to this house, picked up a stone from this property, and they, then they dropped off with a souvenir stone, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, one, one of the things that I, I think is kind of interesting, um, and I think maybe some of you guys uh, are aware of this, but John Madden's son uh, purchased – the um, the property uh, for the Deer Lake training camp, and he sank he sank a lot of money, over a million dollars, in restoring it. Obviously, the pandemic has has kept it from being um, as much of a tourist def- destination or, or a place for fight fans to visit. Um, they kind of trickle by, you know. Um, uh, but uh, when when um, uh, the COVID nineteen is is in the rearview mirror, I, I certainly imagine that a lot more people will be heading up to the Reading, uh, Pennsylvania area to go see that. If you haven't been there um, since the restoration, um, it, it pretty much looks uh, as it did in its heyday. Um, a lot of the, the buildings that were in disrepair, you know, they've, they've been brought back. You know, they have uh, period furniture that has replaced whatever was, was broken or stolen or, or whatever. And... Um, they still have the the names of the uh, great fighters uh, painted on the boulders, and and um, 
I would really love to see that place become a um, a destination for fight fans. I mean, Alley is gone, but Deer Lake is still there, and uh, uh, it's an inspiring place to visit. It really is. Hey, Bernard, the last thing for me is that I was just amazed okay, that... Uh, can, I, can I ask Bernard a couple of questions before he goes? Okay. Go ahead. Uh, you know, you and and Dan Baker and I were talking one time, and uh, I know you. I think I forget how many fights you went to Vegas. I, it's just a phenomenal number. Uh, but of all the fights, whether they were in Vegas or wherever, what was in in your mind the greatest fight you ever attended? The greatest. Well, this is interesting because they were only six weeks apart. Um, the most momentous fight in terms of impact, even more so than. Uh, Tyson Spinks in Atlantic City. But the most men- momentous fight in terms of, of, of impact was when I went to Tokyo for, for uh, Tyson uh, Buster Douglas. And I, I remember um, uh, before I went, there were, there were people saying, why are you flying halfway around the world and your papers paying all that money? It's going to be a one-round knockout or maybe two rounds. And I just said, hey, you know, um, he's Mike Tyson. He is, you know, sort of like a more updated version of, of Muhammad Ali. Not, not that their styles were similar, but in terms of, you know, the the interest in him worldwide. And I was there for that that fight. And then they, you know, they tried to uh, take the decision or, you know, claim that uh, uh, Tyson had really knocked out Buster Douglas in the eighth round. And you know, they finally they. You know, they said, "Okay, well, the decision. You know, we we abide by that." And because if they had tried to do that to Buster Douglas, that would have, you know, that would have been a, a major crap storm, you know, coming down. Um, that was the most momentous. But the best fight, I think, that I ever um, attended six weeks later in Las Vegas was uh, Julio Cesar Chavez, Melder Taylor one. And and mm-hmm. and uh, close behind it, of course, there's there's the uh, the series between Arturo Gatti and uh, Mickey Ward, and also the two the two fights, Arturo Gatti and uh, Ivan Robinson. But probably uh, in 2005, when I went out to Vegas um, for Diego Corrales and uh, Castillo, you know that that was an amazing fight. You know, whenever look, all fights are not like that. But when you do go to a fight that is that great, um, there's nothing like it in sports. No Super Bowl, no no NBA Finals, no World Series game or anything I can top. And to me, the drama and the excitement and the electricity that is generated when you have a great prize fight, and particularly um, a great prize fight that lives up to the billing, in two, including you know involving two superstars. I only can hope that when uh, uh, Tyson Fury and uh, Anthony Joshua meet, that they deliver something like Ali Frazier um, or uh, uh, Larry Holmes and um, Ken Norton, a fight fight of that nature. Um, I don't know that it'll happen, but. The best thing that can happen for boxing moving forward is when they do have a, a matchup of, of you know great champions that it lives up to the hype because it doesn't always you know you don't always get um, 
Tommy Hearns, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard one, it was supposed to happen with uh, Oscar De La Hoya and Felix Trinidad, and, and that was disappointing. But um, we all look forward to the day. You know, we just had one uh, this uh, this past weekend with Chocolatito yeah. and uh, Estrada. You know, I mean that Estrada, and, yeah, and Chocolatito. Oh, uh, incredible! You know, in, you know, in absolutely, uh, absolutely incredible fight. When you when you see something mm-hmm. like that. You know, it, it it makes you want to come back for more in, in the hope that you'll get another fight like that because there's nothing like it. There's nothing in sports mm-hmm. as great as a great well, as a great fight. Well, last week but not least, uh, just to show you the hype that they put into, into the very first one, uh, Life Magazine uh, hired Bing Crosby <laughs> to be the photographer for that fight. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe it that a Bing Crosby would be a the designated photographer for Life Magazine for the fight, and he actually did it. I mean, it wasn't well, that, a joke. It was actually but... another crooner. It was Frank Sinatra, but that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, was it? It was Sinatra. It was Frank Sinatra. Yeah, it was for not, uh, Sinatra. But, you know, they were they were both uh, pretty legendary crooners, you know. <laughs> and Bert Lankin, <laughs> yeah, color uh, on the uh, – on the on that uh, fight with Frazier and Ali, right? Yeah, you know because the thing is, amazingly, because they had such a demand for tickets, and the tickets sold out like immediately, and and some of these celebrities called up and said, "Well, I want a ticket," and 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 uh, and they were being told there are no tickets to be had. You know, it's it's you know it's maxed out. You know, and uh, right, um, right, and, and so basically. Frank Sinatra uh, said, "Well, you know, he he contacted somebody with Life magazine." And and uh, and I don't even know if you had, knew how to operate a camera, but he, you know, he, he, he <laughs> wangled so supposedly a, a he spent three hours with the uh, he spent three hours with the photographer uh, from uh, Sports Illustrated, who is, yeah, was you, you uh, one of world famous. Here and you know and and and, <laughs> and, uh, and and I think that happened with Burt Lancaster too. I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know. Um, a lot of these celebrities, they they like to go to fights and be at ringside and you know to be seen and also to see you know whether. And he was also know. he was also the color analyst on the yep. uh, not on the American broadcast but the other. Yep, and uh, I think it. I think maybe in each case they they just you know the only way they were going to get in was 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 to get uh you know some sort of uh, media credential you know and if you're right. Frank Sinatra right. you're going to get a media credential even if you don't know you know, what a camera does or how to operate it other than, you know, have being photographed yourself, you know, but there he was, you know. I don't think anybody's gonna well, confuse him with, with Walter Ius, you know, from, from Sports Illustrated, but you know, but there he was. You know. Well, Bernard, thank you so very, very much. It was it was uh, terrific to talk about the anniversary of the fiftieth and uh, really appreciate you spending so much time with us. Oh I love I love talking with you guys. Take, take care. care. We Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Well, we're we're gonna switch well, gears, but not too. Rangers are up over the Flyers, and they're getting torched five nothing. They just switch goalies. Elliot's out. Oh boy. Mark's in. Oh boy. Uh, they cut a living huh? one last night. So he says four. I I only have the second part. Five four nothing now. Five nothing. Five nothing. Five nothing. Oh. Holy smokes! Halfway in the second period. Well, we switch gears. We go. We go to the Baltimore area now. <laughs> Baltimore, Washington. Everybody's all set to go, and 
This actually joins us uh, every Wednesday night. And, uh, Mike, we, we're sorry we took so much of your time talking about the 50th anniversary of the fight between Ali and Frazier and all the other stuff that went with it. And uh, it was a lot of fun, but we cut into your time a little bit. What do you got for us tonight? Well, I mean, that that certainly is a momentous occasion to remember, so I'll forgive you. Plus, I got my second vaccine, so I can take over the world now. <laughs> Tommy, we'll let you start off. Tommy, go ahead. Okay. Well, Mike, how you doing? Happy St. Patty's Day to everybody up there. What's, what's the talk about? You know, I've been doing a lot of research about this topic. I was talking about. What's it on the topic of the Capitals? You, you think this is this is their last run at a cup right now? Because the Redskins after the free agent after the end of this year, we got we got Sabrina Charo right now, and you know, Longcoat's not playing. Longcoat's not playing at all. You know, but what's the story about the Capitals situation up there? Um, I don't think that they think it's going to be necessarily the, the, the last year. The expectation is certainly that Ovechkin will stay and they'll negotiate a, a new contract. Uh, I know you saw it, Tommy. He he got his uh, 1,300th point, and he passed yes. Phil Esposito to move into six of the all-time goal scorers. So uh, it, no matter where he finishes on that list, uh, he's been a career capital. They'd like to kind of keep him at the, as a capital. He seems to feel like he's got a couple more years, a couple more years, maybe five more years left to go. Um, it, it's amazing when he signed that contract how how much it uh, how, how huge it was at the time. But now you look at it, and it's actually been a bargain. They're still getting pretty good production from him at the tail end of this thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So they'll get something worked out. He's indicated that he wants to come back. Uh, it's just a matter of finding what price you put on him. But that being said, it's not. It's, it's one of the older teams in the, the league. You know, certainly Zidane Otara um, uh, elevates that a little bit. I think last year I read this. I read they were something like twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight as their average age. And they signed, and that was with Ilya Samsonov. So they signed the only player they could find that was actually older than them. And so it's it's an old team. I would think that they have probably this year they could maybe get next year or so. Um, but then again, as long as uh, Ovi's on the team, they're always going to be a contender. And as long as Ovechkin's on the team, you're going to be able to get guys that want to come and play because they want to come and play with Ovechkin. I don't think exactly. Ovechkin's going to end up like Gretzky at the tail end of his career and take like that world tour of the NHL before he decides to hang it up. Uh, he'll play probably, you know, I, I think five's a good round number for him to play before he retires with the Caps and gets that number eight hung from the rafters. Well, Roger? Well, the, uh, I'll tell you, Mike, I, I didn't want to switch gears yet. You know, uh, stay with... Uh, uh, hockey, uh, but uh, uh, I wanted to get to the MLS. Uh, I, I didn't know whether you were with Tommy or not. I mean, Tommy, do you want to follow up with Mike before we get into soccer? Okay, so I want to make one one follow up question up there. But you know, Mike, the way you should see the way the Tampa Bay Lightning's playing down here. We had Bobby Chief Taylor before before he came on, and and that's, Mike, I think this team's going to win Cup number two. Two in a row. I mean, they're they're missing all best. They're missing um, Nikita Kucherov, but John Cooper 
when the smart coaches like Fred Carroll used to like Fred Carroll, he puts players in the machine, and machine does not miss a beat. So it's going to be interesting to see what down the stretch is going to be down the stretch right there. So I got to say, Mike, about hockey. Roger, you take it away, sir. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me let me ask you one question, uh, Mike, before we get to soccer. On since we're, we're on hockey, what about the Caps? Are they getting uh, tremendous uh, support from the fandom in the uh, Baltimore, Washington area? Well, the Caps are always one of the more supported teams up here. It doesn't hurt that they won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. Um, they've always been pretty well supported. I, I would think of, of the major teams in the area. You, you know, the football team aside, like they're really popular down here. Um, they'll never get sort of the, the same airtime on sports talk radio as the football team does, um, even in the off season. You know, all you hear in, in, on the radio is, is dissecting what the team is doing. They're doing this. They're doing that. Should do, they just sign this player? But, uh, you know, when you're out and about, uh, there's, now that the uh, bars and restaurants have opened up, you know, any time the Caps are playing, it's just red jerseys everywhere. Good. Okay. Moving over to soccer. Um, mm-hmm. Does it look like the uh, MLS? And uh, I know I've been getting a, a number of uh, uh, press releases from the United. Uh, does it look like uh, that uh, the preseason is going to uh, – start on time like they had planned? Yeah, I mean, they released the uh, first two weeks' worth of games, so the home openers for uh, all the teams. I know the uh, Philadelphia Union opened up with the defending champion uh, Columbus Crew in Columbus, so you couldn't ask for a worse start than that uh, before coming home to uh, play in Talent Energy State, or uh, what is Subaru Park now, uh, against uh, Inter Miami, uh, David Beckham's team. Uh, th- so that's the last two weeks of April. They're targeting a start date of April 21st. The Philadelphia Union already had their first uh, preseason scrimmage, pre- preseason game. They lost one nothing to Orlando City down there, uh, and they'll get started early April with their Concacaf Champions League matches. So all systems are go for soccer starting. Uh, early next month for the union and then the regular season starting later in the month. Um, they haven't made many moves. Uh, Jim Curtin was on today for, for or on after the game yesterday saying basically he thinks that the team that he's got right now is the team that he's going to start the season with. And they're going to try and replace, uh, replace the two guys, Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson, who uh, got another Brendan Aronson got another call up for the uh, full men's national team. Uh, he's going to be one uh, on the 26-man roster to uh, play in the friendlies uh, next week, uh, the last week in March against uh, Northern Ireland and Jamaica. So, uh, you know, that's a big deal for the kid from Marlton uh, or Medford, New Jersey. Um, but his brother's coming up through the system. They think that the union think that they've got a really strong youth set up, and they're going to try and replace from within – and I think that's their blueprint now, you know, develop local players. Uh, and then uh, when they get ready for moves, you sell on and you make a profit that way. Well, you know, I will say this, that uh, the uh, uh, the United, well, two things. Uh, the United's complex, I've gotten to see now, 
uh, from not right up close, but, you know, in the area. And it's really impressive. That's number one. The other thing is I did not know that LeBron James was involved in soccer over in England, owning a part of the, uh, I forget what, what team it is. Liverpool. Uh, he bought a um, Liverpool. Where he the bought Beatles a part from. Yeah. Yeah. He oh, bought boy. a part of uh, Liverpool. I think it's something like 5% that he owns that he bought off of uh, Fenway sports group. Yeah. And, and uh, just that, he did that a couple of years ago. Into the Red Sox. He just bought into yeah. the Red Sox because it's all the same group, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all the same group. It's um, uh, John Henry's group that owns uh, Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to say Kevin Durant or somebody recently just invested in the Philadelphia Union. Okay. Like there was an NBA player who just recently invested in the Philadelphia Union. So uh, it's not a, a lot. Some of these guys are, are, are doing more of this stuff. I know the union just got some some money. Uh, for some strange reason, Kevin Durant's name sticks out, but um, I could be wrong about that. But I know there was an NBA player who just invested in the union. Wow. Well, it makes sense. They're looking for investments, and they obviously – feel that uh, the MLS is, is a, a good investment and it's uh, growing. And I think that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think the United because of their success has had a real impact on the, uh, on this uh, investment uh, uh, go round or, you know, time. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you look at what Arthur Blanky, the even $150 million franchise fee that, uh, or hundred million dollars mm-hmm. that Arthur Blank paid to get in. You know, that team's got to be worth at least double that now. And maybe it's not, like, profitable insofar as uh, it hasn't – the value doesn't exceed what he's put into it, but he's certainly grown the game. You know, we were talking about the stats two weeks ago, uh, and I'm sure you told Chris uh, Winkler what I said. Like, they're in the top 20 best – highest drawing teams in the world. Down in Atlanta, yeah. What they're averaging in attendance is is insane. Well, I'll tell you wow. when you know that that they're doing well is that when you go into uh, a convenience store and you see the manager with a mask on that's got the United logo and seventy uh, six, you know, the old Union seventy six uh, brand of fuel because they've got mm-hmm. a big partnership you know then that you're in the big time, okay? Because, mm-hmm. and, and I, I'll tell you, I see more United stickers on cars, decals, than I see on, for the Falcons or the Braves. I might see more <laughs> for Georgia or Alabama, but uh, not, not as far as professional sports goes. It's not, and he, Arthur Blank gets full credit for going in there. He knew right off the bat, if you put it in, the city and Atlanta's a younger city and, and it's a very popular sport amongst the, you know, the millennials, the younger part of generation X, Gen Z, it's a very popular sport. They've grown up playing it. And because of the internet and, and um, you know, cable television, we've been able to grow up watching it more so than we have in the past. These are players and teams that they get behind and he came in and he knew, like, if you're successful right off the bat, the city will embrace you, and 
you know, they had a down season this year, but they've made a number of moves that I think are going to keep get them right back into the into contention uh, next year. You know, they signed uh, the coach that they signed was actually a former Manchester United player, Gabby Heinsohn. He was a defender mm-hmm. for uh, United. Uh, I want to say about fifteen years ago. So not Mike, that let's, uh, let's switch gears one more time because we spent a lot of time last week talking about what's going to happen with Smith. Everybody kept saying he was going to be released. He was going to be released. Was there any controversy about it? Well, he's not even been released, but but uh, uh, they sort of smoothed that all over, and he's made another move. So uh, give us the feeling in Washington uh, now that the you know it hadn't officially been announced, even though we all sort of knew what's going to happen. You know, the feeling in Washington was after he went, it was like, thanks, we appreciate what you did. But the most memorable game that he played was the one where he got hurt. And uh, everybody appreciated his toughness and what he brought to the team. And everybody gave him the credit that he was due for the success they had this season. But they knew that it was time to move on. Um, And just yesterday, they signed uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. you know, it was clear that they weren't going to get the quarterback that they wanted, so they got somebody in. I think that's Ron looking at the first-place schedule and saying, I need a little bit more in the arsenal and at quarterback than I have right now. Um, the big question is going to be, like, what comes next? Are they going to draft? They have uh, – they just gave Ty- Taylor Heineke the contract, the two-year contract. They still got Kyle Allen. You got $10 million committed to uh, – um, Ryan Fitzpatrick for the year, but do you really think any one of them are the future? Uh, do the Redskins draft a quarterback if they're on the cl- if there's one there when they pick at 19? Uh, do they try and pick one up in the second round? You know, where do they go? Because it's clear that they don't believe that the quarterback of the future is on the roster right now. And if they hold firm, you know, it's likely that they're going to be back in the same position next year trying to go through free agency and see who they can get. You know, you can play that game for so long, but eventually I think you want to get something stable to come in and be the quarterback of the future, when you, especially when you consider the moves that they're making. They signed, uh, uh, I think it was Will Jackson, the, the cornerback, uh, Curtis Samuels at wide receiver. They've really been loading up and building the team. Uh, Ron's been getting the guys that he wants in, and it looks like they, they want to compete next year. Well, it'll be very interesting to see. I'll tell you, every time it comes up, we talk about the cap, the cap, the cap. Well, I don't understand the, uh, uh, you know, even here, even here in Tampa, where you know they they made a lot of adjustments to make money available uh, with Brady. First of all, taking a, a cut on his salary uh, or split over a long period of time to give them more room to sign two other players or three other players, and uh, I, I understand that okay, but I, I don't understand Kansas City. Kansas City was supposed to be way over the cap, and now they just signed somebody for $63 million. I mean, how do you do that? I know that Kansas City asked um, uh, Patrick Mahomes to do some restructuring to his deal, which freed up the money. And the minute they caught their two quarterback, their two tackles, Patrick Mahomes was in there like, hey, look, by the way, we just lost the Super Bowl because you couldn't block anybody and I was running for my life. I would appreciate – I'll, I'll um, do the restructuring if it saves you up money so that you can say, sign some uh, tackles to keep me upright. Um, Washington, I know, was very, very, very much under the cap for this year. And 
I think a lot of teams are, are betting on the fact that with fans and stands next year and a new television deal, yeah, you're going to have a lean year this year, but the cap's really going to balloon in the next two or three years. And they're kind of trying to use this year to play a little bit lean, but with the expectation that in another two or three years, there's going to be a big, big, big cap bump. Well, Mike, thank you very, very much. I'm sorry we got you all a little bit late because we were talking about yeah. art and, and uh, about that, as I say, world world famous series of fights uh, 50 years ago when it all started, Muhammad Ali and Joe Fraser. Uh, but thank you very, very much. We'll get together again thank next you, week. All right, you all have a good one. Doug, Take care. Doug Hamilton Bye-bye. is now standing by. He's ready to go, and uh, I know he'll have some comments before we talk golf. Mm-hmm. I know he'll yeah. have some comments on what's happening in this uh, free agent market in the National Football mm-hmm. League. <laughs> Doug, what do, you, what do you think? It's crazy. Um, lots of movement, um, lots of, um, you know, guys restructuring deals, um, as Mike said. Um you know, teams are frantically trying to to scurry to to get under that that uh, less than uh, salary cap number, and um, you know, some choices to be made with um, you know aging veterans that you'd like to keep versus. Um, well, how's you know, Baltimore doing? Where do they stand? Um, you know, they're they're uh they're they're kind of a wait and see team right now. I mean, they've already lost several players, but they, you know, those, those individuals I, I believe had priced themselves. Uh, far out of the market, and, and as you guys know, I mean, you, you get teams that that have a significant amount of money to spend in the salary cap, and all of a sudden, you know, they overpay for people. Um, you know, they lost uh, Matthew Judon, which we knew was a foregone conclusion uh, based on on how he had, you know, priced himself. And then, and he, I heard Judon say, "I don't, I don't know where the heck these teams are, are finding money because the Patriots were." You know, they went on a massive spending spree with some of these free agents, and they signed Matthew Judon. Um, you know, Yannick Ngakwe turned out to be a, a one-year rental for the Ravens, who played okay. I mean, you know, certainly they didn't uh, feel compelled to, 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 you know, jump high enough to try to, to keep him. I believe he went to the Raiders. They lost a couple other, three, four other role players. Their long snapper, actually, uh, had been with them for 11 years and went to Tennessee, where he's from, and um, so, I mean, they've, they've certainly lost some people. Um, they wound up signing a guard from, I think, the Giants. Um, you know, they haven't really done a whole lot. I mean, their, their, their cap number, I believe, they have maybe $13 million to spend. I, I think they kept a couple of their own players. Tyus Bowser was one and um, uh, missing somebody. But um, they're, they're – I don't know how much – they don't have a whole lot of money. I mean, they, they've always built their teams through the draft, and they've never really made a splash in – in free agency. Um, so, you know, I mean, they, they believe in developing their own players and, and they have some other guys on, on the team that maybe didn't get a chance to play that are going to have to take a step forward. So um, we'll see what they can do. Roger. Tommy. Hey, Doug, how you doing? Hey, happy St. Patty's Day to you, Doug. This is, yeah. this is a great moment for you. If you're looking forward to work and, Everything mm-hmm. else that way, but I was watching the Baltimore Orioles on on one of my the sports mm-hmm. bar. I usually go to. They're awful. <laughs> they're, playing the, they're playing the Rays and they're making all kinds of errors out in the field, and the pitchers yeah. going wild out there. And it's gonna be a long year in Baltimore. But, but Doug, what's the, what's what's your tip for the week for the golfers or 
probably be, you know, they're coming down to Florida right now, first time it's going to club since wintertime. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. temperatures in the 80s. What do you tell these golfers down there? Just to go to the rings first or to try to play fast yeah. to do up north? Well, I can tell you, um, you know, based on the conversation we had last week uh, regarding the fact that I'm, I'm excited about a new opportunity and, um, I was telling mm-hmm. Frank when he passed me in, I'm I'm uh, I'm going to be the uh, the happy owner of of a small business in terms of the golf shop and um, nice. You know, I, I um, I'm working through is, the process. Is it, all, of, is it all full yet, Doug? No, I'm. Listen, the, the the state of Maryland is is has two has two speeds, slow and reverse, and and they're <laughs> they. They've they've held they've held me up here with this whole creation of LLC, um, and, and likely they stuck my application somewhere in the middle or towards the back. And so what I did was, um, I, I I reached out to one of my former members who who knew uh, the former governor of the state of Maryland, and I said, listen, you got to know somebody that can help me out here. Get me in touch with the right person who can make this happen. And I was I was given the name of a guy. I had a conversation with him. I sent him an email, and by and large, the next day, you know, I, I was approved magically uh, because I got in touch with the right individual. So I'm I'm waiting for the actual number that I need to attach to um, tax documents or credit apps, rather, mm-hmm. to to send to the, these different vendors, um, and then I can get this process moving in terms of orders and. Well, hell, I'll figure out how to pay for it later. But um, to your point, um, you know, Tommy, I, I, I truly believe that individuals that go places to play golf, uh, whether it's their own club or whether they're just visiting, should, should patronize the golf shop. And we know we've, we've talked about these different things, mm-hmm. you know, with small businesses and, and how the pandemic and all these different things have, um, you know, had an impact on, on businesses. Um, so I, I would humbly ask that, you know, not just to my membership, but but anybody that plays golf at Woodhome Country Club to, you know, support their pro and whether it's buying a sleeve of balls or, you know, a shirt or a hat or something, um, you know, it's it's all going to a good place in terms of helping somebody get themselves started with, um, you know, a, being a business owner and, and and managing all this inventory and all the different stuff that I need to do. Um, you know, that being said, um, you know, to your point. Uh, most of our snowbirds are likely to come back here in about another month, and uh, you know the weather should break about that time. And um, you know I'm, I'm kind of used to a little faster start, I think, into the season when you know you've been in the mix longer. I mean, I've only been there a week now, but you know, obviously, in a, in a previous lifetime, I, I had the ability to spend uh, the winter time making preparations for tournaments and you know trying to trying to line things up, whether they were fitting days, demo days, trunk shows. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and different methods to engage the membership, and so I'm, I'm a little bit behind the curve uh, with that, um, but I'm still super excited about getting the season started and, and trying to uh, make a difference in terms of, you know, the membership and, and what they're used to versus what it is that I can provide them, which I'm hoping is a better experience. Um, you know, so, you know, if you get a chance to play golf, um, I actually hit some golf balls last Saturday evening. There was uh, no one really there past 4:30, and I decided to go up into one of our heated hitting bays and uh, just kind of fool around and hit some golf balls. And you know, you always start with your wedges, and you, and you make some swings, and you build yourself up to a full swing. And you know, you just try to find some rhythm, find some timing. Um, you know, try to control some of the distance and hit the ball as solid as you can. And and um, 
you know, certainly I'll branch out from there in terms of, you know, whether it's bunkers or short game stuff with putter and, and um, you know, obviously going the other way with long long game, um, you know, drivers, et cetera. So, um, you know, take it slow, get yourself loose, get yourself, um, you know, into a good rhythm. And, um, you know, it just – I had no expectations, and it just felt good to make some swings, you know. Hey, Doug, well, will you that? be having as many tournaments – uh, at the uh, new uh, country club, as you did with your old one at Hayesville. Yeah, you know this is this is an entirely different scenario in terms of the membership and and um, you know through the week. My my understanding is that it's it's not incredibly busy as most of our members are either retired fully or working um, that are you know in the of the younger status. So um, I, I don't believe that they had a strong. I haven't seen the actual tournament schedule yet, which is that's certainly on my list of things to do in terms of what it is their golf committee has planned for the season. I know that they have a couple mm-hmm. that are very traditional, um, you know, in terms of um, maybe bigger events, but I, I need to see that to see what it is that their expectation is and then maybe fill in some gaps from there in terms of some new events or um, you know, uh, engaging the, their membership in a different fashion in terms of the tournament program. Um, certainly my targets are um, junior golf. Um, I believe that if you engage juniors in golf, not only are they happy, but the parents are happy. When the parents are happy, maybe they're spending some extra money in terms of, you know, whether it's dinners or lessons or, or bringing guests or playing golf. Um, I think that the ladies program there needs a little bit of love to it in terms of um, getting them to participate in maybe some clinics. And, and what I always look for are some of the outliers of um, women that kind of want to play, that maybe they are just a little intimidated by the game. And if you can uh, break it down to some of its most simplest parts, I think you can you can, um, you can can really get the women involved. And I think when the women are involved, the men are happy. When the men are happy, they play more golf. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of outlets that we can exercise here to get more people involved in the game um, in terms of their membership. Hmm. Oh, that's great. That's a super. Hey, Doug, Doug, I got you see, uh, did you see much of the tournament last week at the players? Did you see much of that last week, Doug? No, you know, um, I was I was um, at work Saturday and Sunday, and um, you know the the TPC scenario of the seventeenth, particularly well, any day really, but but when it's uh, the final day, you know that it's just it's fun to watch those guys hit shots into that par three, but. It I sure really is. see a whole sure. lot of it. Yeah. Not only that, but uh, I don't know whether I don't know whether J, uh, you know Jace Thomas is going to be able to survive. I mean, he only made a million seven hundred thousand by winning that right. tournament. You think, he, you think he'll be able to survive the whole year? Yeah. Only, um, with only a million seven hundred thousand. Maybe he's got enough money to pay for sensitivity training based on what he uh, <laughs> what he said earlier. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, it put him in, it put him into a it put him into a slump. But it looks like he got out of the slump sure. now because sure. he just played super golf. And uh, Westwood Westwood forty seven years old, and uh, mm-hmm. it was remarkable. I mean, he he matched him shot for shot, and uh, mm-hmm. he got a little trouble on sixteen uh, mm-hmm. when he got behind the tree, and that actually knocked him out of the tournament because. He, uh, well, Thomas could bury think, the hole, and, and he he couldn't. He had to play part it, made a miracle mm-hmm. par out of it, but uh, mm-hmm. that one stroke killed well, him at the end. You know, Lee Westwood stumbled in a couple different spots, making some untimely bogeys, if I remember correctly from some of what I did see. But I mean, I think you have to 
you know, really take your hat off to a guy like Lee Westwood, who's played back-to-back weeks uh, really well. Right. Um, you know, but we, we look at these things and we say, you know, hey, man, you know, Lee Westwood's 47 years old. Well, G.D. Whip, I mean, you know, uh, Gene Saracen played into his 50s, you know, and was still competitive. I mean, he damn near beat Nicholson 63 in the Masters, you know, at 50 years old. Um, so, I mean, the times have changed for sure. Um you know, and I think that everybody wants to make a big deal out of someone's age, um, you know, because there's so many youngsters on the tour that, um, you know, gosh, just hit the ball a mile and, and are so talented. Uh, but Well, I think you know, they were trying to make some comparisons between where Mickelson stands today. Mm-hmm. Uh, is mm-hmm. he going to be able to compete? Uh, you know, he's never yeah. been a tournament. I think he finished one under, if I'm not mistaken. And, you mm-hmm. know, but is he really going to be in a position where he's going to go back and step up and, you know, sure. in a major tournament and uh, put himself in a position to, to actually win well, as opposed to the senior tour. But, you know, Don, you, you look at guys like Mickelson and, and if, you know, a guy like Woods was healthy in Westwood and, and some of your older, um, you know, members on the tour, and, and they're they're smarter about their schedule because, you know, these young guys just play every week because they can. It doesn't bother them. Their bodies aren't broken. You know what I mean? They're not. They're not as you know, susceptible to injuries and all these other things. You know, when you get older and you're in your mid-40s, I mean, sometimes things hurt yep. that you didn't realize, mm-hmm. you know, do or that should. And so they're smarter about how they practice. They're smarter about their schedule. They're smarter about their travel. They're smarter about their diet and all these different things so that they can put themselves in the mm-hmm. position to maybe win once or twice a year, not not every week. Um, but, you know, that's that's what you got to be careful for is those KG veterans. They know what they're doing. Roger. Hey, Doug, one here funny. Go ahead, Tommy. Go ahead, Tommy. Yeah, I was going to tell Doug a funny story. Um, Doug, this is like Philadelphia. had the Philadelphia golf classic, White Mars Country Club up there. So we, I used to go up there. The golf is playing up there. Then you follow, then you follow Lee Trevino around, cracking jokes all the time. And he's seen Tommy mm-hmm. Bolt come up here. I see the ground shaking. It must be Thunderbolt. But no, then that I, I miss the days of White Marsh Roger and Don and everybody. You know, we, those days are fun up there. Go up there, take a nice drive up there, like Chestnut Hill College, and take a nice drive up there and that. But, but Doug, I, I'm, I'm glad that job came up. My prayers have been answered, and, and everything's been answered. Doug. Thank you so much for. Yeah, it's um, it's certainly a new challenge, and um, you know I'm waiting patiently to get, you know, the staff members that I've hired. I've um, got my inside guys uh, all under contract here in terms of uh, um, looking for a start date in about another week to ten days, and and I've got an awful lot of things that I want to try to to do. Um, do we you know, get a I, time I, um, when we come up there? I mean, I'll tell you what, I mean, through the week, um, like uh, I want to say last, what was it, last Thursday, it was 80 degrees, and we did 25 rounds of golf, which in most cases, I mean, we would have, you know, any other place I've been would have done 60-plus, 80-plus, and just been jam-packed full of people. But, you know, like I said, I mean, a lot of the members are still in Florida. The ones that are there are sneaking out for an hour to hit range balls because they're working all day or they have families or or whatever, and... Mm -hmm. You know, it's just it's a it's a it's a remarked difference from twenty to twenty five to thirty thousand rounds of golf that I'm used to in a season going down to like twelve. You know, mm-hmm. and you look around, I mean, you know, it's crazy. It's just not no one there. 
Hey, my uh, yeah, just I, yeah. I just following up on that. Uh, the uh, that really has to uh, uh, be a challenge. I, I wanted to t- you mm-hmm. you brought up about that you hired inside people. Are they mm-hmm. to work uh, uh, in the uh, store? Or are they to work yeah. like on the course? Okay, uh, that's mm-hmm. for the store. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about, that. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was wondering, I mean, what about the uh, grounds crew? Are you responsible yeah, for them? No. To, okay. Absolutely not. I, I um, the the superintendent that's there has been there for 38 years. Um, I mean, he is, you know, a uh, historian of the agronomy of that place and uh, the, the different things they've they've tried to do over the years. Um, you know, with uh, the perf itself or with tree cover or any of those kinds of things. I mean, what I, what I tried to do was assemble a a good mixture of individuals from an energy and a personality standpoint, from um, an experience and youth standpoint, uh, from a teaching and mer- merchandising, customer service, um, technology. I mean, I, I was very fortunate to find uh, three additional people that I hired on my inside staff that I think are diverse enough in terms of uh, skill set that are going to help me really kind of put together um, solid programs of, of youth and, and women and player development, um, tournaments. Um, you know, obviously sales is, is critical since I own the golf shop. Um, customer service, mm-hmm. uh, member experience, teaching lessons. I mean, all these sorts of things are super important to um, a membership that has high expectations. And right. um, I was very, very, very lucky to, to find uh, three other individuals who, and, and this will be the first time in, in the last at least 16 years that I feel like I have a team and not just a group of individuals uh, that we're all kind of, you know, headed towards the same goal uh, with my leadership, hopefully. And, um, you know, I'm looking to deliver a pretty solid product to the membership so that they can uh, finish this season and say, wow, that was a, that was a great experience and I can't wait for next season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we how, can many, make how many assistant pros do you got to put in there, Doug? Well, I have um, I have one part-time seasonal guy, and I have uh, two others uh, that are going to be full-time with me. Um, you know, so I think that's we we have a lot of work to do because I, I I believe in the standardization of certain things with regard to you know, gosh, simple things like how does how does a special order get placed when somebody comes in and says I need a size large and you don't have one. So that everybody knows, you know, where where's the vendor list? When how do I order this? And how do I document this so that when it comes in, I can, you know, receive it and charge the person and and then follow up with them. Um, where's the lesson book uh, for for people? Or, or what kind of a schedule are we going to produce for clinics and lessons and juniors and women? And you know, so I mean, there's so many things that I just want to streamline so that it makes it easier uh, for everybody to to function in there. They can find everything. They know the answers. Um, you know, we have obviously a budget. I want everybody to understand, you know, hey, look, man, we're running low on range balls. What do we do here? You know, certain things that um, that we can provide to that membership. So um, I have a lot of work to do in a short amount of time to do it. And once these guys get on board, uh, we, we need, we need, we know, normally it's a jog, but we need to sprint quickly. Did anybody follow you from the old uh, location? Um, not really. I mean, I, I hate to, I hate to admit it, but I, I really didn't. I mean, in, in terms of my old facility, I kind of wanted to move on and, and just completely sever ties. I thought it was the cleanest thing to do. Um, yeah. You know, if you, if you do what you back. always did, you'll get what you always got. And I wanted to do something better mm-hmm. than that, so I wanted to start all over. Um, and, and mm-hmm. I really 
don't want to talk to anybody that I used to, you know, in terms of the staff and, and people that manage that place. I wish them well. I hope they do wonderful things, but I've moved on to a different location and I, I don't need them anymore. Good. You know, so that's yeah. the past. That's well, the, the past Sixers are down 88-84, and the last I looked, the fires were down to the Rangers 8 nothing. Oh, boy. Oh, so oh it's boy. a bad be... night in the city of brotherly <laughs> love. And I'll tell you, I don't know whether uh, this is the first time I've seen them. The Sixers uniforms are, are the uh, under the part of it is Boathouse Row, oh, an outline of Boathouse Row around oh, their uniform. Very different. Very cool. Well, whatever happened to Sixers or P H I L A? That was that was a classic road uniform. Oh, uh, home tradition, Tommy. Tradition. Right. That tradition you know, left when Donald, Mister Henderson, left. Twenty-second <laughs> century calling Tommy. Twenty-second century calling Tommy. <laughs> well, I'm a tradition, Spice. You know, I like to see the old, I like to see the old stuff. Uh, hey, Roger, hey guys, we lightning had a record. Oh, sorry. Hey, you what Doug just said, he's moving on and make changes. Doug's making changes. <laughs> the Sixers are making changes. Clean the house. Clean right. house. Yeah. I'm so back in the way Yeah. I'm so back there. But, no, it's just, a, you know, this one the Lightning's doing a retro jersey, guys. They're doing, they're trying to sell this to our fans, okay? The original jersey says Tampa Bay Lightning with the Lightning logo right there. Lightning logo, trying to sell that, sell that back to the fans. And oh my God, I got all that, all that hats and shirts with the old, with the original Lightning logo on there. And I, I still love that logo. Yeah. This one here reminds me more like a Toronto logo, you know. But hey, you know, got hey, Tommy. That. Yes, Tommy. Every week I start talking, you tell me, hey guys, can we hold that thought? Tick tick tock. Guess what? Can we hold that thought? Frank just said tick, tick, tock. That's right. Doug got the call from, from Frank. That's a good one, Frank. I love it. Oh, my God, I love that. We have a new director. We have a new director running this show. <laughs> Frank, another great job, Frank. Bernard Fernandez was terrific. And, uh, I really worked out well. And uh, thank you very much for setting that all up. And, I'll tell you, a lot of fun show tonight. Uh, so much going on, and Doug, always a pleasure. And uh, just keep it all going. And uh, by yep. a couple of months from now, you'll be rolling. You'll be rolling them in. The best of a thousand. Take care. Have a great week, everyone. Yep. God bless. No, congratulations, and I know you're going to have a great success. Take care. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks, Frank, very much. Great week. Thank you, Frank. Thank you for watching. Like thank you. Our legends, uh, Mr. Roy Cummings, Mr. Um, Don Henderson, Mr. Roger Hendler, and we, Bobby the Chief Taylor, and the, the boxing guy was fantastic. Oh, and Mike Simzak was on, always good time, Roy Cummings. And most of all, Frank, great job as always. For my family, your family, happy St. Patty's Day. And, and, and fans, when you're out there on the road, please be careful. Pick it or lose it, and you're in a gathering six feet apart. Frank, for my family, your family, God bless you and the kids and the family, and, and talk to you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please take the time to let them know you know they're there. <clears throat> 
These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yaswitz, Patrolman Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerber, Newcastle County Police, <clears throat> Lieutenant uh, uh, Anarfo Crispin, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogel, Longwood Cape Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. <clears throat> I guess we're done here then. Good night, God bless, and have a great week. Peace.